Welcome to Sedaris. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, grab it. If you don't, there's one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that's a gift from us to you. Take that home. These are actually brand new. We just switched over to the Christian Standard Bible, CSB. Um, we typically preach out of the ESV. We made a little bit of change. So if you don't even have a, that version and you wanted uh, to take one of those home with you, feel free. So uh, we want to get the Word of God in your hand because the Word of God is what changes us, guides us, and forms us so we might be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. So take a Bible, Google a Bible, get a Bible. We're actually going to be in the very first book of the Bible to start today, and we're going to be doing something of an overview uh, of, a whole, of the whole Bible with regard to the idea of connection. So... Um, Having a Bible today is going to be a great idea, and I'm actually going to be referencing, I'll reference the page number in the black Bible that's in front of you, so um, that could be an easy way to kind of follow along with me if you wanted to uh, get your hands dirty, so to speak. So uh, we're going to be looking at connection because we're in our first C of a little vision series we're calling the five C's. So we talked about this last week. I won't go into it. I did a plenty long introduction to the five C's last week. You can catch that, catch up on that online. But the important thing to understand about the five C's is they are, uh, they are an entire cycle, okay? So you need to work your way through all five C's to experience the kind of transformation that God has designed for you to experience as you become more and more the person that he has created you to be. Now, if you malfunction on any of the, of the five C's, you will fall short of that kind of transformation. So one, one of the things I want you to be doing throughout this series is asking yourself of each and every C, how am I doing with this C? Perhaps this is where the cycle malfunctions and, and my wheel gets a little lopsided and so I'm, I'm kind of rolling funny, okay? So if you're rolling funny you're anything like me and you're rolling funny, this could be a diagnostic series where you say, which of these C's am I uh, maybe, maybe um, not quite engaging in in the way that, that, that we're talking about it here and that the scriptures explain to us. So the five C's are connection, which leads into conversation, which leads into consideration, which leads us into conviction, which then leads us into confession, and then leads us back again. Okay, we'll see how that works today. But it's a cycle. It's not just, not just a linear, it's a cycle. So it feeds off of itself. And the, and the more and more you go through the cycle, the closer and closer you get to truth and aligning yourself and tuning yourself, like with a pitchfork, not a pitchfork, a, tu- <laughs> a tuning fork, that's right, uh, that gets your pitch right, a tuning fork that aligns you and tunes you uh, to sort of the music of the universe, which is the music God sings, okay? So that's what we're wanting to do, but we've got to go through all five C's, and I, what I found is some of us sort of are good at three or four of them, and then we miss one, and so we're not experiencing that kind of tuning that God desires for us. So uh, we, want to in, we want to introduce this language of the five C's into our community so that you can use it in your personal life, and cohorts can talk about this, like how do we in a cohort walk through each of these five C's together? I mean, because you're going to be doing this millions of times in your life. This isn't just like a one-time thing. You go through the five C's. It's over and over and over again. In big ways, coming to know Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as your Savior, as your Lord, and in small ways of, of should I be engaging in, in this kind of life, or should, where should I be living, or how should I be dating, or all the ways that God works in us and through us and on us so that we might experience Him and joy because of it. So, 
That's a little uh, recap of last week. There's much more uh, in way of introduction. Um, but but I, I don't want to, I've got to control myself here. I don't want to go all the way into that, even though I know not everybody was here last week. So we're going to start with connection. Start with connection, because that's where God starts. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, be with us this morning. Send your spirit here in abundance to fill our hearts, remind us of who you are, give us peace and joy and comfort and help as we navigate this world, connect us to one another through your spirit so that we might experience this place as family, where there's no shame, there's no guilt, because of the blood of Jesus. Now give us insight, God, into how we can do this part of your plan even better for your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, some of my favorite commercials on TV are cell phone commercials. <laughs> You're like, are you crazy? No, but think about it. Like, that's literally where the most money is spent. So we've got the most creative people in our country or in our world creating cell phone commercials. <laughs> so this is really funny people, really creative people. Um, you know, and, and this has been going on for a while. Like, you remember, like, the old Verizon commercial with, you know, like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Remember that guy? That guy eventually, like... They had, a, they had a falling out, separation of sorts, and, and then he started doing Sprint commercials, you know, but then Sprint got bought by T-Mobile, yay T-Mobile, and T-Mobile has a great commercial now, one of my favorite commercials on TV, um, it's all about a bad connection. Have you seen these ones where like, there's two people talking, and then, and then it says, now here's what the other person actually heard, and it leads them into a terrible decision. Have you seen these? There's several iterations of the same idea, but basically like, if you have a bad connection, the conversation gets broken, right? See that connect? See that connection leads to conversation. So if you don't have a strong connection, if you're not doing connection well, your conversation is going to be affected. Thank you, T-Mobile, for highlighting this perfectly. Spending millions—I don't know how much—millions of dollars to prove this one point. And now I can just cherry pick it, use it for myself. Now, don't worry, the world's been stealing from God for a long time. So, um, T-Mobile bad connection leads to bad conversation which leads to untruth being lived out in the world, right? Like, that's what those commercials show us. If you haven't seen it, you can just Google it, and you'll find there's a lot of funny iterations. So, um, connection is so important. If you don't have a good connection, if you're not connecting, you're not going to be flow into good conversation that eventually leads to life. So you've got to start with a good connection. Now, I'm just going to fly through several passages in the Bible, from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, to show you how important connection is in the entire uh, plan and scheme of God, okay? So let, let's start. Like, how early can you start in the Bible? We're going to start there. Genesis 1-1. Okay, can't get any earlier in the Bible than that. Genesis 1-1. That's on page 1, <laughs> and if, you've got, if you're using the Black Bibles in the seat back in front of you, page one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here what he's talking about the heavens is um, the universe, the cosmos, the stars. So he created basically what it's saying, everything. Everything that is, everything physical, material that is, God created. There would be no, no material, no physical without God. This will perhaps, hopefully, become more 
apparent why this is so important as we go. Now, skip down here to Genesis 1.26. So 1.1 is sort of a, a it's, not like a, it's not like a summary, or, or it's not like a, um, a heading. It's like God created the heavens and the earth. This is how I interpret Genesis. So he created it all. We don't, we don't know exactly when, but he created it all. And then it goes into more detail about how he took that which he created and prepared it for human beings to come into the picture. And so they come into the picture now in Genesis 1.26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Isn't that interesting? Our image. Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about God. There's one God, but he exists in three persons. It's a, it's a divine mystery of the triuneness of God, meaning God is one, but yet there's this interconnectivity in God. That's important. In God himself, he's not lonely, he's not isolated, he has community and connection within himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Again, beyond our pay grade, but God tells us this is how it is. So God didn't create because he had no connection, he created because he had connection and he wanted to share it with others. He wanted to create other beings that could connect. And so he gets to the end of his creative process and he creates human beings that are unique because they're like him. They're like him. They're they're created in his likeness, it says. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Okay? So he creates human beings. This is fantastic. He'll go on to say in verse 27, he created them male and female in his image. Okay, so God creates, and he creates human beings that are like him. Therefore, that they should care, designed to be like him, care about the things he cares about. Okay? Now jump down with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Genesis 2, verse 23, says this. This is right, this is like an even more zoomed-in look at the creation experience. So God creates Adam first. And then he says, there's no one in all creation, no animals, that's a perfect companion for Adam. So let's make someone who is. And this is where God creates the female. He takes a, it says it takes a rib out of Adam, creates and forms the female. So, so male and female are so similar, perfect for connection. And look what happens next. Verse 23, Adam starts to sing. This is literally a song. You see how it's set in in your Bible? That means it's poetic. It means he literally just starts singing the first ever song we have recorded in history. It goes like this. This one, at last, is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And then it goes on to say, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds, the connection language, bonds with his wife and they become what? One flesh, the ultimate connection, the ultimate human connection. Both the man and his wife were what? Naked, yet, yet, felt no shame. Wow. Total connection and no shame. That, that should make us say, whoa, we're pretty far east of Eden, aren't we? Now, that doesn't mean that the runners at the Fremont Parade are the most, you know, 
<laughs> sanctified of people in the world, okay? Just because they don't feel shame when running naked down the streets of Seattle. That's not the point here. It can get broken in a lot of ways. Okay, so the point here is that in, in this first ever connection, this human union that God ushers in, there was no shame. Imagine. I mean, that's so far from our experience, isn't it? So things are good. God, the connected triune God, now creates creatures that are like him that now can connect with one another into this perfect, beautiful harmony. And he does so in order that they might fulfill all that God has given them to do. If you read the rest of Genesis, if you do premarital with me, you're like, sounds very familiar. We talk a lot about this. Like God has work for you to do and you do it best when you're connected with other human beings doing it together. This This is beautiful. This is how God wanted it. One flesh bonded together. Perfect connection. And what's um, implied in in all of this reading up to this point is that they're also connected with God. God is literally in their midst, walking in the garden with them. They talk to him as, as you would talk to another human being. He is with them, connected to them perfectly. It's beautiful. They go to him when they need something, they don't understand something. They're in this perfectly connected, perfect garden. Now, something happens. Genesis chapter 3. And I mentioned this last week. We didn't have a lot of time to get into it. But we have an example here in Genesis 3, 1 to 7, of the five C's occurring. Connection, conversation, consideration, conviction, and confession. Confession being the living out of your internal conviction. And I said, this is so important, I want to say it again. You can run through the five C's and it leads to death. If you run it the wrong way, or with the wrong people, or with the wrong truth. And, and we know that. We do that all the time. So the five C's aren't like something that only happens in the right way. You do the five C's in the wrong way. And the way to tell the difference is, is it leading to life, or is it leading to death? Look, look at the fruit. Is it rotten, or is it good? Now, let's read the story. So they run through the five C's. Let's read it. Now... This is chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, what we know from other places in the Bible is this serpent had been embodied, or, or sorry, uh, the, 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 the spiritual being, which was, the Bible refers to as Satan, Satan, uh, which means the accuser or the liar, embodies this physical creature, the snake. So we know this is not just... Um, just a snake that talks, but it's a spiritual being who has embodied a snake and now connects with, with the woman. And look what it says. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So he connects with her. And it's an embodied connection. We'll see that in a second, how important that is. And they have a conversation. So the first two C's. So the woman talks back. He said, you know, what she should have done is run. Like, run to God. Why is this snake talking? It's the only animal talking. Like, don't, don't picture a Disney movie here where oh, all the animals are talking. I'm sure this one is very trustworthy because that, that raccoon over there, very kind, did my dishes for me. No, this is not a Disney movie. This is the only animal talking. should freak you out. If you start talking to animals, come see us. <laughs> we'll pray. We'll talk. This is not good. The animals should not be talking. So they're having a conversation. Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden. Woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree 
trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God did say, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, what's interesting here, I'll just give you a quick note. She misquotes God. She gets like half of it right, but she adds some things to it. Again, so what we've got going on here is the conversation is beginning to move from truth to an error. But, but nobody's there to say, wait, that's not exactly what God said. See, we haven't brought God into the conversation. We're having a conversation about God, but we're not asking him to be a part of it. We're not connecting with him. You see that? But we're going through the five C's. Then the serpent says to the woman, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows. So now we're speaking for God. We haven't invited him in, but we're speaking on his behalf. God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable to be, to, for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. So also she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now does that sound like life or death? When all of a sudden you feel shame and you start to cover up. So what happened is they, have a com- they connect with a spiritual being that is not God, who starts talking on God's behalf, but nobody invites God into the conversation. The woman considers this conversation that she's had and the things that are brought up by this, this serpent. She considers and she has conviction. That's right. It does seem like God's keeping something from me. And so her conviction internally moves to confession, and she acts in the world. That's what confession is, is the manifestation in the physical world of the conviction of the heart. And so she's worked through all five C's, and look what it leads to. Death, not life. And what is that death? How is it represented? Represented shame, isolation, hiding, from now her husband, who just a few verse, just, 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 a few, just a few hours ago, they were naked, they were unashamed, life was beautiful, he was singing songs to her. That doesn't seem to be the kind of conviction and confession that leads to life that God wants. And immediately, connection begins to break. Their connection with each other and as we'll see here in a second, their connection with God. But look, look now to verse 8. So now they're hiding from each other in a way because now they're, they're clothing themselves. They're creating a barrier for connection. And in verse 8 it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And what'd they do? The same thing that they'd done time after time. Who knows how long this has been since they were created they run to God. Ah, he's here. Let's, let's, let's have him in for dinner. Let's, let's enjoy his presence and his company. Is that what they do? That's what they've done at every other moment until this moment. No. What do they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We start to use the things God's created to create separation between us and God. They hid amongst God's trees in the garden. So what does God do? So the Lord God called out to the man, and and he said to him, where are you? Who knows how many times he had to call out? Eventually, he heard back. 
And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You're afraid of God? This is new. You've never experienced this before, and now you're experiencing disconnection. Then God said, asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman gave it to me. <laughs> Bad woman. <laughs> she did it. She gave, sorry to laugh, but I mean, this guy is lame. You know, he just goes immediately to blaming. He ate just like she did. He didn't connect with God. He just followed what somebody else told him to do. She gave me some and I ate. So here we have disconnection. Where there once was beautiful harmony connection, we have disconnection between God and humanity, between humanity and humanity, and as we'll see, between humanity and the rest of God's creation. Because what happens next is God says, because you've done this, because you've chosen to go your own way rather than following my way, now all those things that were beautiful and a part of the natural part of life, including childbearing, including working the ground, now the ground is going to be disconnected from you. Now it's going to be painful to go through childbirth. All the things that once were so connected are now disconnected. That's the curse of sin. All things disconnected. We have it right here in the first three chapters of the book. So God's telling us, this is the problem. Jump forward to verse 23. Uh, chapter 3, verse 23, what's it say? So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim, that's angels, and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Because of sin, now God has to keep away from humanity. Actually, so that they can continue to live because they can't be in God's presence in the same way as they once were because of their sin. They're disconnected. So God, in his grace, allows them to live, but they can no longer live connected to him in the same way. This is the fall. God's good creation, humanity good, creating his image, connected, but rebellious, and it creates disconnection. Okay, now fast forward through a lot of the Bible, and we're going to go to the New Testament, John chapter 1. John is one of the four Gospels. The Gospels are accounts, historical accounts of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, his teaching, his miracles, all the things about this Jesus of Nazareth. And we come to find out, the more we read of the New Testament, that Jesus wasn't just, just a man. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. And we see that here in John 1.1. Let's read it. This might sound eerily familiar to something we just read. In the beginning, John 1.1. Sorry, let me give you a page. We are on page 941, 941 in the Black Bibles. 941. John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, writes this about the man that he followed for several years. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So immediately, John's wanting our mind to go where? To Genesis 1 1. 
And, and he's saying, this word, whoever this word is, was there with God. Now verse 3, all things were created through him, that is the word. And apart from him, the word, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now jump down here, skip a little interlude here, but the thought continues in verse 14. It says this, the word, this word that was there at Genesis 1-1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What? <laughs> that's crazy. And that's who John says Jesus was. Come to know, we'd come to know this is the second person of the triune God, the word, the logos, who's there at creation, and all things were made through him. He actually becomes a man. He, he, through the incarnation, he takes on flesh. He puts it on. He restricts himself. Why? Why? Why would he do that? So that he might connect again with us. He steps towards us because we've stepped away from him. So the word, God, the second person of the Trinity, becomes flesh. He embodies himself in the person of Jesus for all eternity. He's still embodied in, the, in, in Jesus. That's why we worship to Jesus. We sing to Jesus. God has now taken on flesh in Jesus. Now turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul um, to a church in Galatia, or the churches of Galatia, which is in Asia Minor, and he's trying to help them understand fully what this means, that the word became flesh. And they're to follow this Jesus, and that this will bring them life. So this is what he says in Galatians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. So this is page um, 1033. So we're 1033 pages into the story of God, and we get some more information here. Chapter 4, verse 4 says what? When the time came to completion... What? To completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's human law. Imagine God putting himself underneath human law. Crazy. Almost ridiculous that he would do this. Why? Next word. To redeem. To redeem those under the law. So God, like, like some of us might feel at times like being under the law is hard. Jesus, the word who created everything and everyone, put himself under the law so that he might redeem those under the law. He's going to connect, stay in tune with, not get out of touch with, because he knows people under the law can't come to where he is. So he comes to them so that he might redeem them. So that we might, we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. So if you're not, if you're not close to tears, something's wrong. You're not getting it. <laughs> that the God who created everything 
would put on this flesh that restricts him. And then he'd, and he'd be restricted by human law so that he'd redeem you so that you could be called a son or daughter of God and join his family. Not because he's lonely. He has perfect connection and perfect community in himself. But he wants to give that away. And I fight him, and I push him away, and I say, why'd you come in here? Why'd you mess my good thing up? I had it figured out. Go away. We don't see him. We don't don't know what he's done. We We don't see Jesus for who he is. We're missing it. We're totally missing it. So some of you might be thinking like, okay, if this is why God wanted to connect with us and he, and he put on flesh, well then why isn't he here anymore? Why can't I go to Jerusalem and, and, and see Jesus and, and sit under his teaching and, and be in his embodied presence? Well, that's a great question. It's a great question. Jesus knew you'd ask that question, so he actually gave you an answer. So flip back to the Gospel of John. Back to the Gospel of John. Here we go. And we're going to look here in John Chapter, what are, we, what are we at? 14. John 14. Jesus is like, this ain't going to make sense now. <laughs> like, you're going to wonder, like, if, if the whole point was to reconnect and you were to, willing to go to those, the, those ends, well, then why didn't you stick around? Because if you know the story of Jesus, he dies on the cross. He rises fully embodied three days later. He eats, he teaches some more with his disciples. They're pretty excited. And then he says, now i got to go. And, and he ascends into heaven. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. Um, all of this work, and, and you're leaving? Like, what are we going to tell people? This is what Jesus tells them why he has to go. So this is uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. So this is page 957. John chapter 14, verse 6. You know what? I think I got the wrong. 16, sorry. 14, 16. Thank you, Galen. All right, here we go. Um, Jesus says this. Well, first he says, in 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and you will be in him. That's not the verse. Um, Okay. That's okay. Let me summarize for you. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know where it is. Can't read that fast. Basically, he tells them, you don't, know, um, you don't know when the end is coming. Okay, here it is. Sorry. Verse 24. Uh, verse 25. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. No, that's not it. <laughs> it's somewhere in this section, and my eyes aren't finding it. Uh, he says this, I gotta go, <laughs> I gotta go. I can't stay, I gotta go. You're gonna wonder why. 
I got to go so that I can send my spirit to you that will fill you and empower you and give you all wisdom and comfort. I've got to go so I can send the spirit. Now you say like, I I thought this was about connection with God and, and I can do that easier with Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, you can, my disciples, but look how small this crew is. So instead, because I don't just love you, but I love all of my creation, I need to go so that I can send the Spirit, and then you will be my representatives throughout the world. And so then your brain should think of the great commission of Jesus, which is, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth. You're going to start here in Jerusalem and work your way out, and you're going to take my message, my good news, and my, the representation, my physical representation to the ends of the earth through filling you with my spirit so that you might become my witnesses. And you see that as you get into the book of Acts. That's exactly what happens. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and God moves them out. And so now the physical representation of Jesus is everywhere. Even in Seattle, Washington, that wouldn't have happened if Jesus had stayed, he said. You don't see so many people in one day as just Jesus here. So I'm going to go to my heavenly throne, I'm going to rule from there, I'm going to send you so that everyone might experience what? An embodied connection with me. Now, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. That's on page 1067, 1067. It's another letter written. We're actually not sure who the author is entirely. Um, But, again, talking about who this Jesus is. Page 1067, Hebrews 10. And let let me have you read here with me. Verse 25. It says this. We'll start, let's start in verse 24. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. So it's a, it's a very clear command to connect, right? Connecting with one another. Coming together, gathering. In fact, the word church, the Greek word that we translate to church, Ecclesia means the gathering, okay? So this word here, to gather together, is to church. (laughs) So don't neglect to church, to to connect, to come together, to be together, right? This is important. We felt that, haven't we? We felt what happens when we're not able to church, to connect, to gather, to to rub shoulders, to to lay hands on. um, My physical love language is... Hugging, basically, <laughs> but physical, t- like, I, like I have to connect with you. So the last 18 months have been so hard, because all I want to do is just grab everybody I see. I can be careful with that, <laughs> like in a normal time, but, you know, like, I, I just want to give, I just want to connect with, that's the way I connect. Now, now not everybody's like, that's okay, just let me know, please, no touching. But, like, connection, that's actually commanded of us. Don't neglect to, to gather together. Why? Because when we gather together, uh, the spirit that's in each of us as Christians sort of, sort of leaps for joy and sings and we come alive. There's, there's a supernatural thing that we can't quite explain, but you probably felt it the first time you came back to church after the pandemic. You're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Same old Dave, 
Same old music, but yet, boom, what, what, what was that? That's the Spirit of God leaping as, as, as another person who has that same Spirit, as you connect. It, it's, a, ooh, it's, a, it's a strange alchemy, <laughs> this Holy Spirit, how it works, but it's true, it's real, we feel it, right? There's something about the connection of the people of God, and that's why I said don't neglect it. You're missing something if you're not connecting, Hebrews 10 says. You've got to do it. And all the more as the day approaches. What is that? The day means things are going to get harder before they get better, is what the Bible teaches. So all the more as they get harder, don't neglect churching, gathering, ecclesiating, connecting together. Because the Spirit of God comes alive in a way inside of you when you connect with other believers. We've got to connect. So now turn, finally, to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, that, that, that is a prophecy, a projection, amongst other things, to the end of time, as we know it, when things totally change. And in chapter 21, this is on page 1,103, Revelation 21, I, want to, I just want to read something to you that's beautiful. This is the promise of of what will happen. Starting verse 2. Revelation 21 says this. Page 1,103. I also, this is John again, the same one that wrote the gospel, that's now had a vision. God's given him a vision of the future, the distant future. We have no idea when this will happen. It could, could be thousands of years from now. It could be tomorrow. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Have we read anything like this? A a groom singing a song to her bride, his new bride, right before consummation? And full union. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Wow. So in the same way that Adam and Eve connected and became one flesh and bonded together... There was no shame between them. They were naked. Everything was known, and there was no rub. In the same way, one day, God will bring all of heaven, and this time we're not talking about just the cosmos. We're talking about the spiritual realm of heaven, his current dwelling place, and he's going to reconnect with all physical creation. And we will dwell with God in full connection. This is the picture of the entire Bible. This is what God's doing. This is what he's doing. So you could sum it up this way. This is what he's doing. You can say it like this. God's entire plan for the universe is to connect all things in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Period. That's the plan. Want me to say it again? God's entire plan for his universe, I'll add that this time, is to connect all things in and through his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what he's doing. So like, like why should I care so much about connection as a Christian? 
Because <laughs> God cares about it. Is it clear now? I wanted to make sure you knew that's coming from God. Like, he cares about connection. That's how important it is for him. That's his entire plan, is to connect all things through his son, Jesus Christ. So, what kind of connection is that? Just to, to drive this point home clearly, what kind of connection? Does he want us to live out in his world? How do we help bring the kingdom? How do we participate in this big plan? Well, we do it the same way he did it, through embodied connection, right? So, like, what did the Bible not say? Do you need to go back? Page one. Page one. You don't need to go there. This is just a theatrical trick. Page one. Okay. <laughs> it says this. In the beginning. Here's what it doesn't say. This does not say. In the beginning, God created the internet. Then, <laughs> he created, see what I'm saying? He didn't, he wants embodied connection. How do I know that? He took on flesh. The incarnation tells us that there's something that's more powerful than even connecting through the internet. Not that there's not some value in that, but the reason we started a physical church where people met in a time where it seems like that's a bad idea in a place where real estate is ungettable, why did we do that? Why did not we just start an internet church? Because God didn't in the beginning create the internet. He created physical things. He created flesh. And he said, that's the best way to represent who I am. Humanity. He wants embodied connection. He wants us to be together because he himself put on flesh to be near to us. Then he sends us out all over the world. I mean, God could have created the internet a long time ago if he, if he said, hey, disciples, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the internet. <laughs> you know, like that seems even easier than sending the spirit. I'm going to just create the internet for you, and that way you can disseminate your message around the world. No, he said, I'm going to give you the spirit so that your flesh comes alive in a way that it never has. So you have a power that you've never had before, and you are going to be my physical representatives. And Acts chapter 1 verse 6 says, my witnesses in all creation. So you are going to be my witnesses, it says. What's a witness? Think of a courtroom, right? We've all watched enough courtroom drama. Don't know if this is true. Talk to Amanda Campbell. But I... As far as the TV tells me, or movies tell me, like, if you don't show up as a witness in court, your testimony is bunk. Doesn't work, right? Like, you got to show up. That's my star witness. And if, if they can't show up, there's no witness. Well, that's embodied witness. Like, there's something about it that we see in all, and, and, and so many sparkles of this everywhere, this idea that it matters to show up. Embodied testimony. And we are now that in the world. Well, this reminds me of something else I've read in the scriptures, right? We are what? The scriptures tell us the body of Christ. That's one of the ways the scriptures talk about what the church is. We are the body of Christ. We are his embodied connection to the rest of creation. So this is so important to God. Not just connection, but embodied connection. I hope you've experienced that, the joy of embodied connection. And we fight for it. And we, and we do, you know, you probably have ideas. I'm not, I'm not saying like, this is not a, there's, no polit, there's no political stances in here. I'm not saying like, you know, like it's been hard over the last 18 months to do this. But we fight for it. We desire it. This is what we want to get back to. I can just tell you there's a lot of churches who are just sort of saying like, hey, that worked okay being online. A lot cheaper. Let's just do that. 
and they've literally left the city. They've pulled their physical presence out because they're like, it's a lot cheaper just to pump it in. No, we don't do that. We're not going to do that. We'll never do that. God's called us here to be his physical presence in the city of Seattle. That's, that's why we're here. Hopefully you get that. Now, a few other considerations when it comes to connection. The first is this. Connection is not, just like I said, the starting point on a linear five-point plan. It is, you could call it a starting point on a cyclical plan, which means what? It's actually the, um, the expression of the last C, which is confession, is the beginning or the spark for connection. So here's how it works. So like, when I am first connected with the gospel or with God in a, in a, in for the first time or in a new way, and I, I have a conversation about it, and I come to truly consider it and put it in the center and, and look at it, and I come to realize I have a conviction it's true, or I have a new conviction about who God is that's true, I learn something new about him, now my confession is saying it out loud, telling others, or acting on it through new ways of living. And when I do that, right, just think about that. When I confess, what do I have to do? Like, like how do you confess to somebody that you, you've come to realize something new about God? What do you do? Hey, we've got to get together. I've got to tell you this new thing that I just realized. Let's connect, right? You see how so it is actually, it's just part of the cycle, and it keeps going. So that's why if we don't confess, we're probably not connecting, because confession leads us into connection, which then leads into conversation. And consider, you see how it works like that? So it's important to understand it's not, it, it's very important, uh, but it doesn't, it's not isolated in itself. And now, let me just show you this, because this is really fun. Go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll prove it to you. Here we go. Page 1067. 1067, Hebrews chapter 10. So right before that thing I read to you about don't neglect to gather together, let me just read to you what it says right here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this is verse 19, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through the thing blocking the connection. So because we have new connection to God through the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, meaning we bring our prayers to God or to Jesus, so we talk to God through Jesus, so that's why you might hear Christians uh, pray, in Jesus' name we pray, because we pray to our high priest, which is King Jesus, and he brings our appeals to God. So we have a great high priest, we connect to God through Jesus, Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Again, the body is important here. Then what does it say? Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since, we have, since he who promised is faithful. And then it, then it goes on to what we read. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. So it's confession. When we hold on to the confession of our faith, when we say, Jesus did this for me. He came near to me. He connected with me. He broke through the curtain for me. He's my new high priest. That then leads us into confession about who he is, which what? Leads us into connection with one another. See the cycle? 
So you gotta, you got to make it all the way through. So if you're not confessing in your life, my, chan- my guess is you're probably not connecting in all the ways God wants. So that's the first other thing to consider. The second other thing to consider. Um, what is it ultimately, have, what did we read, disconnects us from God? Or, or messes with good connection, either with one another or with God? What is it? Sin, right? Like sin is the thing. So if you're struggling to connect, or if connection is, is extra hard for you, or um, if you're wondering, well, how do I do this better? Uh, because it's just such a strain. It just feels, I don't feel that spark of connection that, that Dave's talking about. There could be some unrepentant sin in your life. So like, is there something that's disconnecting you, some sin that's disconnecting you? You've got you to ask God that. That's always what creates disconnection. So if you're struggling to connect, it's because probably there's some sin that you haven't laid at the foot of the cross. So every week we come to communion because maybe there's something you need to lay at the foot of the cross. Jesus died for it. It's paid. It's done. The penalty is clear. The debt is gone. Like, but you've got to give it away. You, you can't hold on to it. So if connection is, is hard, if you're struggling, figure out, ask God, what is it, God? What, what's, why is this so hard for me? Because and, and, and usually sin, as we see, leads to shame. And shame leads to disconnection. So is, it, is there some shame that's keeping you? Let's work through that. Let's talk about that. You can get together with me and Ryan. Like, what, like, why is this so hard for me? Probably because of some shame or fear of rejection that has no place at the foot of the cross. You see, it's very level. You've heard that old song? It's level at the foot of the cross. The matter of money you make, how successful you are, it's level at the foot of the cross. When we all come to the foot of the cross, we lay our burdens, our shame, our guilt at the foot of the cross, then we look around and we say, oh, you're my master. You're my banker. You're my boss. You're the president of this or that or the other. Like, and yet you're here at the foot. Yeah, see, it's the connection that comes when we lay our sin at the foot of the cross. So sin creates disconnection. So if you're struggling to connect, ask yourself, is there something I need to lay at the foot of the cross? Now, the, the other thing I'd like to just say, very, the other consideration is some of you who are introverts are probably like, this sucks. <laughs> like, what do you mean connection is so important? Um, you might not know this. I'm an introvert. No, you're not. Yes. My natural bent is to go sit at a movie by myself. I've done that my whole life. That's what I, in my flesh, without the spirit, that's what I'd prefer to do. Can't tell you how many movies I've watched by myself. Like in theaters. <laughs> I like that it's dark. <laughs> I like that I can just be there. I'm an introvert who loves to connect. <laughs> that's the other thing you're like, but I only know that I love to connect part of Dave. I'm telling you, I'm an introvert who loves to connect. Why do I love to connect? Because I love Jesus. Before I fully surrendered to Jesus, I did not love to connect. After I fully gave my life and said, God, do whatever, he just started, I want you to connect here, connect here, connect here, and I'll connect those people. And you probably, you probably experience me as the connector. That's because the Spirit of God is a connector. And I've given him control of my life. So I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by like, do I just need to be connecting at every moment? No, you need to be connecting as prompted by the Spirit. So it doesn't mean if you're an introvert that, that you're going to have, like every waking moment you need to be meeting with people. I'm not, I don't want you to hear that. 
but I want you to be attuned to the Spirit of God who says, maybe that one person over there I need to go connect with. Now, how do you get to that? How do you get to that? John chapter 15. Maybe I got the wrong John here. John chapter 15 is going to tell us, okay? John chapter 15 tells us how we make sure we're attuned to the spirit that tells us when and how much and with who to connect. So look at this real quick. John chapter 15 tells us this. Verse 4. 15.4. Let's see if I wrote that down right. Okay, here we go. This is Jesus talking. This is what Jesus said while he was with us. He said, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. What is that? Connected to the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing. So we have to remain connected to Jesus. That's where it starts. It's not enough just to be a connector in the general sense. You want to be first connected to Jesus and then connect to others, therefore connecting them to Jesus. That's how fruit happens. So stay connected to Jesus. Through what? Connecting in his word. So when I pick up my Bible, I'm asking God, I want to connect with you. When you close your eyes in prayer and you say, Our Heavenly Father, what are you asking? I want to connect with you, God. Then you have a conversation. So you have to be connecting with Jesus if you're going to know how to connect in the world. I would almost say if you're not connecting with Jesus, if you're not feeling filled by his spirit, you know, be very weary of your connection. Because you might be connecting with the wrong people that are going to lead you down the wrong path, into wrong places, into wrong actions. But when you're filled with Jesus, when you feel like you're connecting with him, then when God prompts you to connect with somebody, do it. And you could be like me, an introvert who loves to connect. Okay. Now, uh, one more consideration. Or, sorry, I have two more. One is some of you have a spiritual gift of connection. You know who you are. <laughs> like, everyone's called to connect, but some of you are like the ligaments of the body of Christ. And if you're not hyperactive and helping the body stay connected, there'll be fragmentation in the body, disunity in the body, that the body being the church. Some of you, as uh, Malcolm Gladwell called, uh, the very few percentage are connectors. Paul Revere was a connector. <laughs> okay, Some of you have a spiritual gift of connection, and you need to use that gift to keep the body of Christ alive and together. You're the ligaments of the church. Okay, You know who you are. God might be prompting you right now. How do you use that gift? Come talk to me. Some of you need to, to start being the connectors to help the rest of us connect better. Okay, And finally this. Don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this. How does poor connection, how does it get fixed? How does it get fixed? What's the answer we have from Genesis? What happens after Adam and Eve hide from God? What's the very next thing that happens? God seeks them out. What happens when humanity, even after all that God's done in the Old Testament, still can't connect with God? What, is, what happens? What's the very next thing? John chapter 1, God steps in to connect. So connection begins at God's initiative. He, gets, he, he initiates, he gets the glory. It's about him stepping in. But for us, what we remember as his representatives, if we're going to be like God, what do we need to do when there's disconnection in our life, in our family, at our work, 
in the church, in our cohort, what do we do? If we're going to be like God, he's made it very clear, we take the first step. We need to step in. We need to step one step beyond comfortable. We need to be the ones. In our world, if we want our world to be unified, guess who's going to do it? The representatives of Jesus, the representatives of God. Like, if we want our country to be unified, who's it going to be? The people who have the Spirit of God with them. Like, that's the way it works. God and his representatives take the first step into the discomfort of disconnection to create new connections. That's how the kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. It can start with us, and eventually Jesus will come as well and connect it all again. But we need to be that bridge to connect with the disconnected world. We can be that in our city. We can be that in our families. We can be that in our church. We can be that in our country, in our world. It's got to be the representatives of Jesus because this is what God does. So this is what we should do as well. Connect. Let's pray.